Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we want to go back to John chapter 1. We'll be moving down through there here in a little bit. You'll remember that last week we looked at the uh, defining verse on baptism. And uh, John chapter 1 verse 31 where it says, Jesus being baptized by John and he was manifested to the nation of Israel. And that was our, I told you that is the defining verse on baptism in the Bible. And we saw last week that baptism will always manifest something. That's the key. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with your eternal security. And... uh, but it does manifest something. And I told you that there were seven different baptisms in the Bible. <clears throat> and then I walked you through them. And yet, here is the discrepancy. And yet, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 tells us that there is just one baptism. And that one baptism, as we saw last week, has absolutely <clears throat> nothing to do with water. And I showed you that the other six, as we came through them will be, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, an example or an sample of the one true baptism. And how that when you come through and put it all together, that you get a complete picture. And, uh, you know, uh, um, I took you back to Colossians chapter 2. The day that you and I got saved through, as the Bible says in verse 11, with an operation of God made without hands. We call it spiritual circumcision as defined in the Bible. And I showed you how at that point in time in Colossians chapter 2 verse 12, the Bible says that when you got saved, you were baptized into his death by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The one true baptism in the Bible has nothing to do with water. But as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. It's a spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. And each one of the seven will manifest something to us and uh, in learning our Bible as you kind of put it all together. And you'll remember along with that, I gave you a whole list of them. Uh, and we talked about God's systematic theology. When God wrote the Bible, because he is the author of it, he has the right to decide how it's going to lay itself out. So uh, he put it together in such a way that if you're really going to learn it, you're going to have to do it his way. This is totally foreign today. Nobody, most in Christianity, wants to do anything God's way, certainly when it comes to the Bible. And the Bible will have its own format for us to study it, and for us to learn it. You've heard the verse many, many times. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, The study to show thyself approved unto God. You don't have to approve unto man, under God, but it has to be his way. You know, years ago, almost probably close to 30, 25, 30 years ago, you know, I was traveling around the country, the world, whatever, and, you know, doing, doing all kinds of studies for different churches. I had, uh, in, in a couple of cases, I would go in on a, on a Sunday, I'd get there on a Saturday, and sometimes Saturday night, but most generally we start on Sunday morning, and I'd start Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then I'd take Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and uh, the people were told that it wasn't going to be a normal service, it was a learning session if they really wanted to learn something about the Bible. So, you know, each night I would take maybe two or three hours 
uh, and by the time I was done, you know, they'd have a complete understanding and picture of whatever I was trying to do. I had one I did on church history. And I would go in on a Saturday, mo- uh, Saturday and go in on Sunday morning and, and then bring it all the way through. I had another one that I did. I had several that I would do, depending on what the church wanted. I had another one I did on uh, how to put your Bible together, how really to learn your Bible. And, uh, you know, I would be there for four or five days, and uh, uh, I would walk them through uh, to lay it all out and uh, give them everything that they needed to kind of put it all together before I left. And I'd always start out like this because... This is a great illustration that makes a very prominent point. And I would start out by telling them that, you know, I'm from Kansas City, and right down the road, about uh, on I-70, you'll come to St. Louis, Missouri. And I would tell them that there's actually two ways to go to St. Louis. You can go down I-70 and go east, And you'll get there in maybe three or four hours, depending on how fast you drive. Also, you can drive west. You can go through Kansas, go through Las Vegas, go on out to California. You get a ship and take it across the Pacific to China. And then you go to China, Asia Minor to, to Europe. And then pick up a, a boat in, in, in England and then go to uh, America, New York, and then to New York to St. Louis. And I'd use that illustration to show them that there are two ways that you can learn your Bible. The easy way down I-70 or the hard way through China. And actually when it comes to learning your Bible, most folks take the trip to China. And, uh, you know, I look at my job and I take it very seriously. You know, my job is to take those of you who really desire a depth in the Word of God. Now, when I say that, I understand not everybody wants that. <clears throat> that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you not my friend. But I have learned in life that you'll have people, as I gave you last week out of Exodus chapter 16, when the manna came down, some gathered more, some less. You're going to have people that are always satisfied with the status quo. And that's between them and the Lord. And I will give you and help you any way I can. But my real target focus, if I can just be totally honest, is for those of you under the sound of my voice today that are here, that you really have a desire to get to the depth of the Word of God. And together with all that we have here, to put a complete package together for you. Every one of you is different. Every one of you have different abilities and skills. It's my job to be able to read those differences and to be able to hand cut for you what you need. Uh, And I might ask, in the fastest possible way, in other words, going down I-70. I'm not interested in going to Canton, China, when it comes to the Bible. For me personally, I saw it very early in my life when I got into the Word of God that I wanted the fastest way. Now, I say that, and you know as well as I do, I've said it before, there's no fast track to the Bible, but there is a faster way than going through China. And, uh, you know, for me, getting you to that level at the fastest possible way is, is good for me because then you can step in and help me carry the load and do what uh, needs to be done, and that is profitable for me. And, you know, we'll do that, and we have done that, and in our doing that, 
by using God's systematic theology for all of us together to get the Bible down. Now, you know as well as I do, when you come in here and you're just in the basics, we take you through discipleship. Then we'll take you through discipleship one. Many of you go through an unofficial discipleship three. As sooner later, if you really have a desire to go that way, you're going to get into Bible Institute. Uh, you're going to meet with me and let me help you give you some designated programs. You're going to get into the people ministry because you're going to see the value of all that. And in those places, that's where we really get the depth of it. And, uh, you know, that's by design. Uh, but I want you to know that uh, it takes a commitment on both of our parts. Too many times in most churches, Baptist churches anyhow, the pastor may have a commitment to give the people the Bible, but the people don't have a commitment to get the Bible. And it, it takes a, a commitment on both of our parts. It takes a commitment uh, to you by me. I have to realize and, and do more than just stand up and preach and then go home. I have to get to know every one of you. I have to watch you, observe you, spend time with you, talk to you. Through Thursday night Bible study and just our relatively relationships together, I find out where you're at and get a pretty good idea of what you need. Now, obviously, you know more what you need than I do, but when we get together on the thing, then I can absolutely help you accomplish that. So it takes a commitment to you by me. That you're not just a number, that you're not just somebody in my church that uh, we're glad you're here today and then move on with it. No, no, no. I look at every one of you. Now, you may not look at yourself this way, but I look at every one of you in a direct format that I want to give you everything that, that I can to you. But then it takes a commitment from you to this church and to me as your pastor, and together we become, as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, laborers together. And it's through that labor... And everything that we do, it's through that labor that together we will build our relationship around the one lasting thing that will always keep us close together and never let anything get between us, and that will be the Word of God. When you have the commitment of the Word of God in your life, then you have everything you need and we have everything we need that we can build uh, through the Word of God. I, I love to be around people who have a desire to learn the Bible. I like the freshness of you young men and young ladies. It keeps me young, the fact that you're always looking and seeking. I understand that in Christianity, and this is not a criticism, this is an observation of a, of a practical truth. In Christianity, it's really easy to get stagnant. It's real easy to lose your edge. It's real easy to get complacent and not want to keep pushing on, especially the older you get. And uh, I thank God that, uh, you know, my body may be breaking down, but I'm telling you, my mind is as fresh uh, as any 20-year-old as you'll find. I, don't, I, I always am looking for the ways to help you. And, uh, you know, I, you know I've, I've been in this Bible a while now. You know, I was thinking this week, and I was, I was just thinking, you know, um, this April... This April will be 50 years uh, since my dad died. He died 50 years ago in April. And it was at that same month that, that I surrendered my life, that God worked through all of that, and I surrendered my life uh, to the ministry. And I've been doing that now for a half a century. 
It doesn't seem like it's much till you use the word half a century, 50 years. And yet, I, 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 I got to be totally honest with you. The, the more I get into the Bible, some 50 years now, the more I get into the Bible, the more I understand how little I really know about it. The more I become aware of what the book of Ephesians says in 3.8 when it talks about the unsearchable riches. And I'm here to tell you today, if, if you spend 100 years, if God gives you the age of Methuselah, 969 years of age, you'll never unearth the unsearchable riches. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18, we've talked about it many, many times, the depth of God. And I try to tell you how that we all need to have that in our lives. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you, getting to the bottom floor <laughs> of the depth of God never happened. Uh, we, all we can do is keep striving to learn. All we can do is to look at ourselves as students of the Word of God on different levels. But the real question has to be, what kind of student are we? You know, every time I come through the Bible again, I become more and more aware of what I don't know. You know, I know you look at me on Thursday night and, you know, any question you ask, I can pretty much answer in 20 seconds or less. And you think that that's because I'm so smart and because I know so much about the Bible and I don't want to bust your bubble and I really like to keep that image before you, but I'm going to blow it today. No, it's because in 50 years, I've heard all the questions. I've heard them all. What you come up with in your Bible and you say, oh, I got a question. I've answered that question a hundred times. And, uh, you know, one of the value of being around as long as I have, you know, is the fact that I uh, saw the end of the Civil War. But one of the great advantages of being around so long is I've heard it all. I do not think I have been asked a new question in the Bible probably in 20 years. Now, I got some questions in there that if I, somebody asked me, it would take me a little while to figure it out. And there's some that I just simply say, I don't know. But I want you to know it isn't because I'm the smartest man in the Bible when it comes to the, the Word of God. That's not true. There's so much. You can take what I know about it and put it in the left eye of a blind mosquito. Uh, there's some volumes that I have no clue on. And I, I am just telling you. But my responsibility in the little that I do know is to, if you will allow me, is to reproduce what I've learned in the Bible and through my ministry experience in you for your edification uh, and your growth. Because I look at you as my replacement. And also this, for you to take what I give you and, and to do a better job of putting it all together uh, in a much better way than, than I did. Uh, if the theme of the book of Hebrews is better, and it is, we know that from Institute, then in time you should be better than me with the book because of just some fundamental simple things. Most of you, uh, of not all of you, for most cases, you're younger than I am. Your minds are fresher than my mind. You're stronger physically than I am and you have a better endurance level you remember and retain things better than you and I know you're some of you are smiling right now you wait till you get 70 
Wait till you get 70 and you can't find where you put your car keys. What do you turn 70 and you can't find what you remember what you had for breakfast? Remember when you, when, we, uh, when you get to the point where you can't retain things and your minds are fresh right now. You can memorize the Bible, retain the Bible, and hold on to those things uh, much better than, than I can. You're, many of you, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I just be honest. Many of you are much smarter than I am. I mean, you look at your academics in school, and I know that school don't mean anything, but it does to a certain degree. You understand all the great things that they're teaching you that I don't have a clue on. You know, some of you took geometry. Some of you took trigonometry. To me, they're just words that absolutely mean nothing. When I was in school, I had the hardest time on the planet just passing general math. My salvation came in two ways, once by the Lord Jesus Christ that saved my soul, and once when Casio came out with a calculator that saved my high school. <laughs> I won't even get into the fact that most of you are better looking than me. <laughs> but you, you ought to be better than that in time. You, you ought to come to the place that because you have so much going for you now, in your young age. You know, the Bible says, it talks about that the, you know, the glory of young men is their strength. The glory of an old man is his, is his gray head. And it's a case where, a, listen to me, there's no reason on earth. I use the cliche in Acts chapter 8 when Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch if he understood. And the Bible says, he said, uh, he joined himself to his chariot. If you'll join yourself to my chariot... There is absolutely no reason why you can't have the depth of that book and in time grow to the point where you surpass me. Anybody else out there? The idea, you know, that there's one guy out there who has all the truth and he's the pinnacle of the mountaintop is, is, is a farce. That only happens because there's God's people won't apply themselves to learn over somebody else who did. So it looks like they're a lot better when reality, they're really not. You're just a lot slower. Some gathered more, some gathered less. But there is no reason, and I see it in you. I do. I see it in you. And this is why I, I, I push you and I motivate you. And I, I, yeah, I was t- trained in a very hard way, and that's the way I train you. Some people don't like that. Some people can't handle that. I get it. I get it. I get it. But the bottom line is, I just know one way to do it, and that is the way that I was taught. And the guy that taught me was into building soldiers, and that's what I'm doing. And you don't go to be a soldier and then wham, 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 basic training about what you don't like. But, you know, that's, that's the key. You can't have the depth of that book. And I'm telling you, I know how to get you there because I understand what it takes to get you there. And that's the key. All of you have the ability, in my mind, for the most part, maybe one or two of you just don't give a flip, but, but the majority of you here this morning, and certainly listening to me, I know on our website out there, you know, we've got some guys who really know their Bible. And uh, you know what? It's a blessing to me. And in our church, we have some people, male and female, who really know their Bible. And that's a blessing to me. 
But you got to realize that there is only one way that you can get there. And that is really the key. It's one thing to know how to get you there. It's something else to understand what it takes to get you there. And that's really the key. But you're going to have to do the work. I know, I know, I wish there was a spiritual pill that came in a bottle of a hundred that said, take one of these every day and you'll know the Bible. I wish there was. I wish there was an easy way just to screw off the top of your head and dump in everything that, that anybody knows about the Bible in and then screw it back on and you'll be good to go. It, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to do it God's way and not your way or my way. Our way hasn't worked for any of us. It's obviously in many people's lives, it hasn't worked in your marriage, it hasn't worked in your family, it hasn't worked in your personal life of learning the Bible. And it certainly, most certainly will not work in really getting into the Word of God. If I die before the Lord comes back, I want my legacy very simple to be uh, that this church carry on with the men and women who together we uh, build a depth in you uh, with the Word of God. Just simply, if I can just reproduce myself into one person, that one person can change the world. The ability to do that with 100 people is off the chart as far as I'm concerned. So now today, again, we're going to go down deep. You know, the books that John writes will all have a real depth to them. And that's why, you know, when you begin to study them, you got to look beyond the surface and you really got to use the tools. And this is why I'm capitalizing on things like this, like last week and then this week and throughout the whole book. I want to give you the tools. I'm not somebody that just wants to give you, buy you a set of mechanic tools and then back up and say, go fix that car. I want to give you the tool, but then I want to show you how to take off the head gasket, take off the valve covers, take off the radiator hose, take off the, and I don't know what any of this stuff means, but it just sounds really neat, and be able to just be able to take it apart and put it back together. You see, when it comes to the Bible, it's not good enough just to be able to take it apart. You've got to be able to put it back together, and you've got to identify the pieces, and that's what we do here. That's what my job is. And uh, it's, it's just the way that it is. Now, you know, John writes the five wisdom books of the New Testament, just like you have five in the Old Testament. So they're going to be deep. So I want to read for you uh, John chapter 1, verse 32, 33, and 34. And it says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now today, I want to give you another great piece of the picture puzzle of the Word of God. And again, back in the day, and Sharon... You'll remember this. You know, I was thought about you and me this week when I was putting this together. Hey, hon, remember on New Year's Eve from the time we were little kids? Uh, on New Year's Eve, my mom, we'd all spend it together. Most of you don't know who Guy Lombardo is. He was a band guy back in the day, and he had a New Year's Eve thing that brought you up to midnight. Well, 
In our family, it was a tradition. My mom would buy one of these 1,000-piece picture puzzles. And she would start after dinner, and there'd be a card table there. And I was just a little guy. And, uh, you know, I didn't, and she would stay up all night long. And I remember, Sharon, I know you remember too. You know, I'd watch her for a little while, and she would be putting that puzzle together. And, and uh, you know, and uh, uh, I would, my little heavy little tired eyes would, would close, you know, and I'd fall asleep on the couch. And, and the next morning when I'd wake up, I might make it to, midnight was a big thing because in our neighborhood, we all went out and beat pots and pans. Uh, we ruined more pots and pans than you could ever do. We'd get pots and pans to go out, and we'd beat on the pots and pans, and everybody around, you know, people would be shooting their guns off, and, you know, but we just beat on pots and pans, you know, Happy New Year, and then my little eyes would get heavy after that, and, you know, my, and I wake up every morning on New Year's Day. That puzzle would be completely together. I don't have the patience for that. I, 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 it's not me. I, I, I really, and this is probably, there's a lot of things I don't get, and maybe it's just me, but I don't see spending eight or nine hours putting together something that the picture of it's on the box. <laughs> but, you know, that's me. One time before my mom passed away, I asked her. I said, Mom, I said, my fondest memories is watching you put that puzzle together. And I said, I never really asked you this, but I said, that to me looks like one of the hardest things that anybody could ever do. And she said, well, not really. She says, there's a system to it. And I said, well, you know, what's the system? And she said, well, what you do is when you dump all the pieces out, then you separate them. And you get all the pieces that are the corner pieces. And he says, she says, what you do is you frame the corners with all the flat pieces. And then once you have that all done, then it's a lot easier because then you take the pieces and you, you, you work from the framework in. And she said, then it gets much easier because as you begin to do that, you begin to see the picture emerge. So you can pick the pieces based on how it fits into the picture. And before you know it, the puzzle's done. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't think I understood that at the time, but years later, when I began to get in my own Bible, I realized that's exactly how you put the Bible together. You know what we do here through God's systematic theology, the Seven series? We build the framework. What we do here first in everything we do is we build the framework. We do it in Bible Institute. We do it in people ministry. We do it on Thursday night. And as you get the pieces of the framework of the Bible together, and remember now, the Bible is like that picture puzzle. It represents a picture. Now, on the puzzle, it may be a waterfall or, you know, a dog or somebody hunting ducks or whatever. But for you and for me with the Bible, the picture is what God is doing. And the more pieces you put into that picture, the clearer the picture becomes of what God is doing. And I learned a great lesson with that. And I bring that to you. I mean, I I don't know how you look at it. Sometimes we lose sight of this and all that goes on. But you know what? I could have went everywhere, anywhere in the country. God could have sent me in 1976 when I moved out here. Why did he bring me here? Well, I can safely answer that for you, and you can all take it for what it's worth. He brought me here for you. And that was my commitment to you. Now, what is your commitment back, see? And the end result, when we have that 
mutual commitment is you get the Word of God together. <clears throat> and that's the Bible. You start with a framework, and then you build it. Once you get the framework in, then you start working from the framework inward, putting the pieces together, and as the picture begins more obvious, then it goes together quickly. And along with that, you know, uh, last, uh, uh, last week and this week and weeks to come, I want to show you the process of how you do that. I just don't want to lay it out there and give you a sermon that you go, wow, that was really neat. I want to show you the process that you yourself can get to the place that you do that. I want to show you the process so you can learn how to develop it yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you. We thank you for the folks that are here today, uh, downstairs, upstairs, and on the, on the YouTube. We just pray that you'll let this message be a blessing to them. I love them, Lord. I thank you for bringing us all together. I thank you for uh, the friends that I have here in the Word of God and the friends that love the book and people who want to learn and grow and uh, who are faithful and loyal to the work here in the ministry. Uh, and, Lord, that they have their life commitment here. And, Lord, I thank you for that. And, uh, Lord, I just pray, Father, that together we'll make our life commitment to you through the Word of God together. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to give you today a workable path to follow. And this is going to be a fun day today. Nothing really going to be harsh. I'm not going to be mean to anybody. Kind of. And it's a thing where, you know, but I want you to, uh, in our text today... John says that I saw the Spirit descending on him as a dove. Now, most people read that, you know, and they really don't know what to do with it. They think it's a symbolism of something and all that stuff. And, you know, I want to lay out one of the greatest studies that you're ever going to take. I, I don't know what you know about the Bible. If you've been around here and hooked up to my chariot for any length of time, you know that animals and birds in the Bible, uh, in particular doves, and, uh, and they, they form a incredible study, and it will be uh, to unlock so much of the Bible. Now, fundamentally, let me say this. We know from the book of Leviticus that birds in the Bible will fall into two categories. They'll fall into clean, and they'll fall into unclean. Now, there's a reason for that that we don't have time to get into today, but I'll take it just a half a step further and won't even develop this. But so do God's people. God's people are just like the birds in the Bible. You find some that are clean and some that are unclean. And now when it comes to the devil and his demonic horde, uh, he'll be likened to uh, the unclean birds. Uh, Revelation chapter 18 verses 1 and 2 says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, there's a place where the unclean spirit, the demon, devils as we know them, are likened to birds. You'll find it again in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. You'll find it again in Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 6. You'll also find it again in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 10. In fact, it's all through the Bible. Now, the second thing. You're going to find in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, and then again in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, and then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, that God the Father is pictured as an eagle. 
and he's pictured as an eagle that is, is soaring high above. And, you know, a study of eagles are incredible themselves as a type of God, incredible. But here in these passages, he's watching over the nation of Israel like a mother eagle, fluttering her wings over her young. And then the third thing, and here in John chapter 1, the Holy Spirit of God is likened to a dove. Now, for just a second here, uh, if you don't want to turn to it, you can just write it down and look it up later. But Job chapter 12, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 is a great key to all this. And it says, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Now, you see that? That tells us that beasts, fish, in fact, beasts, fowls, the earth, and fish will teach us something in the Bible. That means that everything you find them in there, you need to stop and look at it because it's it's a gateway to a depth of a study. Now, this is why, and we'll talk about this next week, this is why that the first men that Jesus picked as apostles were fishermen. See? We'll get into that next week. You know, God's hand to teach us in all of these things. The hand of the Lord hath wrought this. So in the Bible, when you come across the animals, it says they shall teach thee. And they're going to tell you something. Verse 7. Now, today, I just want to stay with our text, and I want to talk to you about the dove as a type of the Holy Spirit of God and how that will teach us. And now, we're going to go down deep today. You're not going to be wading along the shore. You're not going to be in knee length, or you're not going to even have a scuba diver where you're going down 40 or 50 feet. You're all going to become hard hat divers today, and we're going down deep. I uh, saw this week in 2019 a Victor Vasco he got into a bathosphere and <clears throat> descended in the Marianas Trench over there in the Pacific. He set a world record by going down 35,859 feet under the ocean. Almost seven miles, a world record. All I can say to that is get out of the way, Vic, because we're going deeper than that. In our world today, <clears throat> we know from the world standard, that the dove is a picture of peace. And, of course, uh, that is because of John chapter 1. Originally, uh, Christ with the Holy Spirit of God is called the Prince of Peace. You'll find out in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. So even though the world doesn't believe the Bible, they, they have adopted what is the standard that they just can't get away from, which is the Word of God. And in the world today, the peace is, the dove is a sign of peace. And you'll find that we as God's people, when we make our peace with God, Romans 5.1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, uh, and you get the rest of our soul according to the Holy Spirit of God at salvation, like we saw last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it becomes, the Holy Spirit becomes our rest. Now, in the Old Testament, not to belabor the point, but in the Old Testament, this was the rest that God wanted to give to Israel, which was the millennium. Israel never got it in the millennium, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 says, but she is going to get it when Christ comes back. But the rest in the Bible will always go back to the Holy Spirit of God. 
And that is so key for you to understand. Now, allow me to show you how you use pictures and types to illustrate truth in our lives of what we should be. You have heard me say many times that we need to become more like Christ every day of our lives, getting his mind. Well, for just a few moments here, let me take you on a journey. Let me take you on a journey through the word of God and God's mind, and maybe out of this something will spark you. But I want to talk to you about, you know, um, the dove. Now, let me talk to you about in our relationship first with Christ. Let's start with that before we get into something really, really, really deep. Not that this isn't deep. The book of Song of Solomon. There is no other book in the Bible that will show us what we should be with him more than the book of Song of Solomon. Now, I'm going to say this and probably 99.9% of people out there won't agree with it, but you know what? It doesn't really matter. It's true anyhow. Most of God's people today who claim to have a relationship with Christ that is a really working relationship is based on bad information. It goes along like the book of 1 John, where every preacher out there will tell you that the theme of 1 John is the word love. And so we take from that that we love God. But we know from our Bibles that the real theme of 1 John is not love, never has been love. I think it's 27 times in five little chapters. The key word is to know. And this is what we do as God's people today. And listen to me very carefully. This is not a criticism. Listen to me very carefully. We try to love God before we know God. And that's where most Christians are at today. Your love is based on your love for like your dog. Now, I know we all love our dogs, and I'm a dog lover, but you know how, you know, how in the world, I mean, I, it's enough, I mean, you love the dog because they look cute, they diced it out, they're good, they snuggle with you and all that stuff. But you know what? How do you have a love with a dog that can't talk to you? You know, your dog doesn't understand anything about you, but what you condition him to do. Uh, go home and put the test to it. <clears throat> you got a dog, lab, you know, Doberman, whatever your dog is. Sharon's got Dobermans. I got, you know, I got a lab and we got a border collie uh, who thinks he's, a, you know, a human being. And, <clears throat> but you know what? I, I've done this test before. I'll come in the basement and Daisy's laying on the couch and she's got a little stub of a tail. She had to get it cut off because you got gangrene in it. <clears throat> I know you didn't need to know that, but. And so that little stub is flubbing on the thing there, you know, and she's looking at me and all, you can see it in her eyes. And if you don't give her enough attention, she barks at you. Then you got to go over and hold her and snuggle her a little bit. And, and, but she's conditioned. Because I could go down there and I could say, Daisy, I'm going to take a ball bat and I'm going to beat your brains out. I'm going to break both your legs, all four of them. Then I'm going to beat you senseless with a big ball bat. And I'm going to throw you out in the street and let the garbage truck run over you. What do you think of that? That little tail just wags. She looks. I could say, Daisy, I love you. You are the greatest tail between her legs. 
cows down? She has no understanding. We've conditioned them. You know what the world's done with most of God's people? It's conditioned you to have a love for God that's not real. That's 20th century Laodicean Christianity. I'm just going to show you here. When you look at the book of Song of Solomon, uh, three vital aspects to this book. One, it completely explains how Christ looks at me. So now I understand how God sees me. So I don't worry about losing my salvation. I don't worry about that I go through my life thinking that God is standing around the corner there waiting for me to screw up and going to say, okay, cancer! I understand how he looks at me. I understand what he thinks about me. The second thing that you find in this great book, it shows me how I should look and what I should think about him. Now that, if, 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 I, if my relationship, forget you, if my relationship is not based solely on understanding of those two things, then I really have no relationship. I'm like Daisy. The world has conditioned me. Christianity has conditioned me. And the third thing, once I understand those two, is how I should see and understand the Christian world and the world in general around me. Now watch this. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 1 and come down around verse 15. And here we have Christ is talking to the bride, me. And he says in verse 15, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. There it is. There's the dove. Now that sounds like a Ramonic. A, a, a Ramonic. That sounds like a romantic thing to say. A Romanic, Romonic. That sounds like a Romonic thing to say to the love of your life. That's, and that's all the farther that most of God's people can ever take it. It's a poetic view of the church, the bride of Christ. And you'll probably find something like that in your notes of your study Bible that you bought, that you wasted your money on, because the best study Bible is your own. But doctrinally, it's much more than that. Now, we flip over to chapter 5. In chapter 5 now, we have the bride me, based on what I've learned about my relationship with Christ, the love of my life, me and Christ, now I say some things about him. And and just let me pause here for just a second and say this, and I jumped on this a little bit Thursday night. You know, there's a great pretense in Christianity today. And I'm telling you, take it for what it's worth, You'll never love God the right way. You'll never know God the right way, or you'll have a right relationship with God till you understand and apply the book of Song of Solomon. It's God's love letter to you. It's God telling you what he thinks of you, but then allowing us to see how we should think and say to him. It's like, how can you have a relationship with, I said this Thursday night, how can you have a relationship with somebody if they write you love letters uh, and you never read them? Now you just get together and go out to eat. And what do you talk about? How's your job going, this or that? There's no intimacy to it. Thursday night, somebody asked a question. 
What are the seven things that pleases God? And yet when we answer that, we could go on and we find in the Bible that there's seven things that God loves. And then we go on in the Bible and find out that there's seven things that God hates. If you want to go a little bit farther in the systematic theology, it talks about the seven things they rejoice about in heaven. And I don't mean to bust your bubble. It ain't the Super Bowl. It ain't, did you win the lottery? It isn't about you got a new car. I'm not saying those things aren't important. The winning lottery certainly is, especially if you believe in tithing. I'm all for it. But anyway, you, you, you see that we're pretenders. We're like my little baby doll, Daisy. The world has conditioned you into reflexes that you call love for God. And yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Hey, look, I'm not, this is not a criticism to anybody, and I'm necessarily not trying to beat you up today. I'm just trying to show you something. You have to make up your own mind. I, I, I'm, I have nobody in mind when I'm saying this. I'm just teaching it across the board, trying to show you how this dove concept will work into your life. And listen, you can't have an honest, real relationship with anybody let alone Christ, without really knowing these four things about them. What pleases them, what they love, what they hate, and what really makes them happy. Try to have a marriage and a relationship with anybody without doing those. And yet, at the same time, this is the pretense. Everybody here would say amen to that when it comes to your wife or your husband, but you're silent when it comes to God. And yet God's people couldn't give you a clue. They don't know. You see, these things form the basis of, for an intimacy in a relationship, a, a sensitivity. And this is what is missing in relationship with God. Now, having said that, look at chapter 5, verses 9 through 16. Here we describe Christ as we know him and love him. Uh, or we should, uh, based on First John and knowing him. And here's what he says. What is, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou doest so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head as the head is as most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the river of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are a bed of spices as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies dropping sweet smelling mirth. His hands are as gold rings set with the barrel. His belly is bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, you see, this brings up the question for all of us. Do we really have a relationship with him? Or are we conditioned by what we have been taught, believe, and that the world and Christianity has given it. Do you re- re- really know him? 
That's the key. Well, in the verse here that I just read, there are seven things about him as they apply to you and to me. And tell me, O spiritual one, define each of one of these for me because each one of them means something in my relationship as I look at him. Let me ask you a question in verse 10. White and ruddy. What does that mean? That's two opposites. White is different than ruddy, but yet he's white and ruddy. Verse 11 says his head is fine gold, but his locks is black as a raven. That's two, that's two different things too, two extremes. Verse 13 says cheeks better spices. Verse 4 talks about his hands and his belly. Verse 15 talks about his legs being like marble. Verse 16 talks about his mouth. What are those to you and to me? See, each one of those means something. Now, if we would just take that and put it into a world's compology and we'd take his head, you know, and uh, his cheeks and make him a bed of spices and his hair like a raven and come down and have two legs like pillars of marble, it'd be a monstrosity. But that's not what it's talking about because each one of these represents something that you and I should know because we love him so much and we know him so much that this is how we see him. Now look at, back to verse 12. I left this one out on purpose to come back to it. His eyes are the eyes of doves. By the river of waters washed with milk and fitly set. You see? His eyes are the eyes of dove. We're to have the eyes of dove. That simply means that in my relationship with him, in your relationship with him, we should see everything through the eyes of the Holy Spirit of God. We have the same 20-20 vision. Seeing as God sees, not as we see. Seeing as God sees instead of seeing what we see will produce doing an action the way God wants it done versus just doing it the way we do it. Not as you and I see it, but as God truly sees it. Now, am I spiritual? You spiritual? Come on, big boy. Are we spiritual? Are you? Love God, do you? Well, then based on your deep abiding relationship with the Son of God, tell me, why is it in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, thou hast dove's eyes, but in chapter 5, verse 12, it says his eyes are the eyes of the dove. Why the difference? What is the river of waters? You say, well, it's him crying. <laughs> really? <laughs> Is that all the farther you get with it? What what does it mean when it says washed with milk? What does that mean? Is it skin milk, whole milk, half and half? Oh, here's one I love. What does it mean when it says that his eyes are fitly set? God's people today have no clue. The deception of God's people today is simply, 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 simply. You have been conditioned, I have been conditioned to love him based on not what the Bible says out of Song of Solomon, but what everybody's told us it should be. 
You got your picture of the crucifixion from your Easter messages, from your pastor out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you never saw the price that was really paid in Job 30, Isaiah, book of Psalms. That really made it personal to you. And your love for God, my love for God, is simply based on my understanding without ever knowing him. And when you love somebody without knowing them, you fall in love with them, but then a short time later, when something better comes along, you fall out of love with them. Don't kid me, man. Now, I'll show you another one. Come back to Genesis chapter 15. This came up a couple of weeks ago in Bible study, but not everybody was here and people out there. I'll go through it again. And here's a good one. Let me show you how this works for you with the dove. Read Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. And he said, this is God speaking to Abraham. And he said unto him, take thee a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, there's your dove, and a young pigeon, also considered a dove. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep feet slew upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall afflict them four hundred years. That's talking about going down to Egypt, by the way. Now in this chapter, this is where God takes Abraham out and shows him the stars, and Abraham believes God, counted him for righteousness. And then Abraham is told to make a sacrifice, and I want you to see this. He's told to take a heifer, three years, a she-goat, three years, a ram, three years, a dove and a young pigeon. Now, I'll just stop here and ask you, oh, wonderful one in the Bible. Why is a heifer three years, the she-goat three years, the ram three years, but when it comes to the dove and the pigeon, there's no age requirement? You see, do you catch things like that? I mean, that's a significant thing. Now, in this sacrifice, he divides, cuts up the heifer, the goat, and the ram. But the dove and the pigeon, he's told not to divide or cut up. Now, here's a picture in an Old Testament long before the events ever take place that shows you how God never violates his own principles and how the accuracy of the Bible. And I want to tell you, we haven't went to one Greek concept yet. I left my Greek lexicon at home and my Hebrew lexicon at home, so I'm going to have to just trust my Bible this morning. We've not done any of that thing. We've not went anywhere other outside the Bible. And you don't need to either. Now, here's how accurate your Bible is and how God never violates his own word or his own principles. The heifer, the goat, the ram are all pictures of Christ at the crucifixion. And on the cross, Job chapter 30 Matthew chapter 27, 46, Job chapter 30, verse 20, Job chapter 30, verse 26 through 31 shows you that on the cross, God divided himself. He separated himself from Christ on the cross. So now you have in an Old Testament story a picture of the New Testament principle that on the cross, 
a ram represents Christ, a goat represents Christ, and a heifer represents Christ. And when he cut them up, he separated the pieces. It was a picture of the sacrifice that Christ made from the sixth to the ninth hour when he was set apart and sanctified and God turned his back on him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Ah, but the birds. The birds are not divided because they are a picture of the Holy Spirit of God and Christ, though he was separated from God on the cross, he was never separated from the Holy Spirit of God. Hence, and that I hands, I commend my spirit. And you know what the great picture is for me and for you? Come on now, let's dig down deep. Adjust your oxygen. Don't get too much nitrate in there. You'll blow up like a bubble. Go up so fast to get the bends. Stay down deep. We found that. Now let's just take it one step further. Apply it to you and me. You see, I may get separated from God because I get out of fellowship with God based on sin and I get separated him from my fellowship. But no matter how bad I get, I'll never get separated from the Holy Spirit of God because I have been sealed under the day of redemption. You see that thing? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See that? No Greek, no Hebrew. Just a King James 1611 authorized version. Now this shows you how the Bible uses doves. One place it shows you in Saga Solomon's how that we are to look at everything as Christ sees them through the Holy Spirit of God. Here we see the great picture of the crucifixion, how that the sacrificial animals were divided and separated out in pieces, but not the birds because Christ was separated from God on the cross, but never separated from the Holy Spirit of God. Now what a great fundamental inspirational picture if for those of you who are afraid to death that you can lose your salvation. Yeah, you may get separated from God because of sin and lose your fellowship. You'll never get separated from the Holy Spirit of God. You're sealed with it. Well, let's look at one more here. I could do this all day. Genesis chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 6 down through verse 12. And it says this, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days. You know that 40 in the Bible is a number of testing. Noah, and we know that Noah is one of the 21 types of Christ and God in the Bible. Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. He sent, also he sent forth uh, a dove from him. Uh, to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for her soul of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him unto the ark. And he stayed yet seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from the earth. 
he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove which returned not again uh, unto him anymore. Now, I've got to be honest with you. What's the point? Why do I need to know all that? Just tell me. Sent the blackbird out. He didn't come back. The dove came back a few times, and then you knew the water was going down. There's more here than that. Now, this is an example of how you use words and you use a story. You start with understanding that God put every word in here for a purpose and a reason. You start that everywhere in your Bible with whatever you read. There's no oh-ho-hum with God. There's no, when it came to your Bible, well, I got some space, what do you want to fill it with? God has a purpose and a direction and a teaching behind everything he does and says. Okay, here we go. Now, this story takes place at the end of the flood, Noah's flood. The water begins to recede. That means it goes down. And Noah beginning to check to see how far it's, it's gone down. And uh, so he goes out of, uh, and, and, and in the same chapter in verse 18, he, he, they go out of the ark. The water's all the way down. And in this story, you'll find Noah uses two birds. Now, we already know from the book of Job that birds will show us something. I already showed you that the, uh, the, uh, there's unclean birds and there's, there's clean birds. And here we've got one of each. The raven is an unclean bird and the dove is a clean bird. One is a type of the devil, the black raven. The other one is a type of the Holy Spirit of God. And what you have here in this incredible story, if you're a Bible student, if you're learning and adopting and pulling these things together like my mom used to do with that picture puzzle. Letting me and our relationship build the framework for you through Bible Institute, through people ministry, through our one-on-one time together, through the discipleship and all the investment that people put into your life. And through this story, what you have here is an incredible picture, here it comes, of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Some book you got in your lap today. Again, no Greek, no Hebrew. And for me, you know, when God would show me something like this, or I would learn it, and I probably saw this, what, 20-some, 30 years ago, maybe longer than that. When God would show me something, and as I was really, really, really trying to put it all together, it, it just would motivate me beyond belief. I just couldn't stop. I, I couldn't put it down. And for me, when God would show me something like this, it motivated me to keep digging and realizing that nothing on this planet for over 50 years, almost 50 years now, half a century, nothing on this planet is better and more profitable to me than digging out the gold in his book. And every time I get on Sunday morning, Thursday night, or any time I'm preaching to you, whether it's here, upstairs, or on that thing, my invitation is come and join me. Let me show you how to do that. Just like somebody showed me. That's why God sent me here in 1976. He could have put me anywhere. I know some of you get mad at me and you don't like me. You know what? Blame God. He's the one that sent me here for you. You're the one that didn't want it. I didn't have any say in it. If I'd have had my say, I'd be wheeling West Virginia. 
Say, what's in Wheeling, West Virginia? I don't know. It's probably better and neat place. I'd be in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Well, that's a neat place. I mean, why Kansas City? When I first came out here, you know, uh, back in 76, I flew in on a Saturday night, and they put me up at the uh, where Benjamin Stables used to be. It's all gone now. I mean, none of you guys worked there in that Cerner place, but that used to be a horse stable up there called Benjamin Stables, and there was a, a, a big hotel right across the thing there from it. And I remember I got up early in the morning, and I had no idea of this, and I'm thinking, Kansas, I've never been to Kansas City before. I'm still thinking there's cowboys and Indians out here, you know. And I got up that morning and walked out my little balcony there and maybe a little cup of coffee. And lo and behold, right in the back of that thing came a guy in a cowboy hat riding his horse down the back. And I said, do you have cowboys out here? He was some dude from Benjamin Stable going horseback riding. But, you know, I, God could have put me anywhere. Uh, I'd like to tell you sometime the process that got me here. But I can cut it all down to this, whether you like me or you don't like me or you care about what I preach or don't. He got me here for you. You're stuck with that fact. Now, the storyline here, there's 10 things I want you to see. You say, oh, no, no, we'll go through them quick. First of all, you got Noah. He'll be a type of God the Father. You got the raven. He's a type of the devil. You got the dove, who'll be a type of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here we go. Take a big, deep breath. Turn up your nitrate, your oxygen. We're going down way beyond 35,000 feet. Verse 6. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Now, I don't know what you know about the Bible, but that ark's a type of two things. That ark is a type of the universe. That ark is also a type of Christ. You see, when Noah went in uh, there, there was salvation in that ark. That ark was a type of Christ. And the way you got in that ark, where you got in Christ, was a door in the side. And when Christ was on the cross, the way you got in and what killed him was the Roman soldier put the spear in the side. So there's a hole in the side of that ark just like there was a hole in the side of Christ. That's how you got in. There's three levels of that are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But when you take that and put it into the concept of the universe, there's three heavens. Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Which one are you going to? So it, 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 when you get over in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 9, Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 19, you'll find that up there in the universe, there's windows. And there's also a door, John chapter 10. So you got windows in the universe up there that are literal windows. Now, I don't know how to explain that. I know what a window is. Somebody said, well, do you think it's really a window as we think of windows? Well, it's called a window. In Song of Solomon, Christ is looking through it at you. That's a good one. He loves you so much. He can't wait to be with you so much. That right now before the rapture of the church. And you say, well, I don't believe the rapture anymore. That's good for you because you don't want to go in it anyhow with that attitude. But he's looking through that window, just catching a glimpse of every one of us. You see, you see the Chiefs guys, they'll play today and somebody will make a touchdown or somebody and they're out there going, guy will kick a field goal. 
God could care less. I think God looking down, watching the ball game and saying, come on now, come on, give him a little extra power. Let him get that through the uprights. Come on. They're, they're, they're chasing him around out there. Let him, let him fling that ball. Give him that. He'll give you the honor and glory for it. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's looking, getting a glimpse of every one of you. He's looking at you. He can't wait to be with you. Maybe it's just me, but I think we ought to return the favor. And we studied the universe in Bible Institute in Hebrews chapter 8 and 9, remember? And I laid that whole thing out for you as a pattern. Well, you should have these things right now. So we have the cast of characters, and then we have the ark as a type of the universe here. And then look at verse 7. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Now, verses 6 and 7 will be a picture of the time in your Bible of Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 1, 2, where the devil, typified by the black raven, leaves the presence of God, Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, and never returns. He never comes back to God. I'm sorry, Origen, who in your messed up theology taught that someday God and the devil would be put back together again, but you didn't know your Bible very well. You've been making it out in the Greek and the Hebrew too much. He ain't coming back. And I want you to notice, and this is how you put it together. I, I, I want you to notice here that it says he doesn't come back until the waters are dried up. Now, for a Bible student, you, you'll note that the devil gets his end in Revelation chapter 20, verse 21. He gets dumped into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says that when God comes down right after that and renovates the earth with fire in the great third, second, second and third, uh, first and second heaven, it says clearly after that in Revelation 20, verse 21, when the devil goes into his final abode in the lake of fire, there was no more sea. Water's gone, just like here. You got to catch things like that. And for the obedient Bible student, again in verse 7, the phrase to and fro, that's a great key. Because when you go in Job chapter 1, verse 7, and Job chapter 2, verse 2, and the Lord asked the devil, Where you been? You know what he tells God? He said, Oh, I've been down on the earth going up to and fro in it. Key words. Key words and phrases in the Bible. Then look at verse 8. Now also at the same time, he sent forth a dove. We know that's a type of the Holy Spirit of God for himself. Verse 9 says, But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him uh, into the ark for the waters on the face of the whole earth. Uh, then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark. Now that'll be a picture uh, starting in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And actually going all the way up uh, to the, uh, uh, through Adam and through the beginning of the law of Moses. And you'll find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. 4 and 5 it divided the light from the darkness. But you'll find that there was no rest for that Holy Spirit of God. So it goes back to God. 
That'll represent from Genesis 1, 2, up to through Adam, the patriarchs, up to Moses. Then the thing I want you to see in verse 10, and also verse 12, he waits seven days between sending this dove out. And somebody says, well, why, why is that? Well, the key to that is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where it says that 7, 000 year, uh, a 1,000 years is one day with the Lord, and, and a day is 1,000 years. He's showing you there that the plan of God is going to run from Genesis to Revelation 7,000 years. No Greek, no Hebrew, just manna that God dropped around my tent. Some gathered more, some gathered less. You'd have done better to pick it up instead of trampling under your feet that morning, but some gathered more and some gathered less. Now look at verse 10 and 11. Now watch this. Then in verse 10, after seven days, he sends the dove back out again. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now, This will show us Israel under the law up to the captivity, that time period. Say, how do you get that? Because of a couple of key words. Three, as a matter of fact. Because the Bible unfolds itself around key words. And when you have the key words of the Bible, it opens up the chapters and the stories. First of all, in her mouth was an olive branch. That tells me that this is sometime after Moses and the law up to the captivity of 606 B.C. and is dealing with the nation of Israel because in the Bible, Revelation chapter 9, Revelation chapter 11, Israel is an olive branch off the olive tree. So this dove comes back with an olive branch in her mouth. Picture now Holy Spirit of God dealing with the nation of Israel. Your second key word would be plucked off. (laughs) You wouldn't think that that's much of a word to open up your Bible, would it? But when you go to Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 15, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 40, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, and Luke chapter 17, 6, you'll find that that's always a reference of God dealing with the nation of Israel. He plucked them out. Then the other key word will be the word evening. If you'll notice, it has not been used before this time in our story, but now it suddenly pops up with the plucking and the olive branch. Because we're now dealing with the nation of Israel and the Holy Spirit of God establishing Israel when they come out of Egypt as the olive branch off the true olive tree that later on got plucked off and we got grafted in, Romans 9 and Romans 9 11. And now we're dealing with the Holy Spirit of God establishing the nation of Israel. When he starts that, he begins their day. Here it comes in the evening. Now, how hard is that? Are you telling me that anybody in this room can't put those little things together? 
Some gathered more, some gathered less. Deep man. Don't you just love that book God gave you? I'll tell you what, when I got into that and started seeing these things, I couldn't put it down. I told you, it's been almost 50 years. I can guarantee you 40 of that has been a, been a search and destroy mission. Say, what do you mean by that? Searching that book and destroying everything in my life that would keep me from getting it. Comes down to the words, folks. It comes down to you getting into a church that believes the Bible, that teaches the Bible, linking up your chariot with a man who knows a little bit about the Bible, and then let the Holy Spirit of God walk us through that thing and and then everybody gets to define themselves. Some gathered more, some less. Where are you at? Do you love him or you just got that mindset that you've been conditioned like my little baby girl, Davy. Now I'm going to talk about her next. She's probably watching this morning. I have to go home and love her up a little bit. <laughs> Deep, man. 35,890 feet. <laughs> you don't have a clue, man. We're going down a lot deeper than that. But again, Verse 11, the dove comes back again, and he waits another seven days. Now, verse 12, here we go. Don't miss this. And he stayed yet another seven days and set forth the dove, type of the Holy Spirit of God, which returned not again unto him anymore. Ah. You see, we have come through Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2 when the devil left. Then we've come through the Holy Spirit of God dealing with man in the Old Testament scenario up to Moses. And then we saw the olive branch in the evening and the plucked off as under Israel. And in all those cases, the Holy Spirit of God typified by the dove kept coming back because you couldn't find a rest. Now suddenly in verse 12, he sent forth the dove which returned not again unto him anymore. Ah, the dove, type of the Holy Spirit of God, finally found a place to rest. And in this time, Len, will be the church age, you and me. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with Christ. The Holy Spirit of God in the church age finally found a rest. It's in you, sealing you, where the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in the New Testament believer and has found rest in us with Christ. We have a song in there, our haven of rest, anchored my soul, a haven of rest. Holy Spirit of God finally found a place to rest in the church age. Now that's how the Bible will lay itself out. One of the key verses you'll need to have and know and begin to understand is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that God made. Everything that God made in his creation is a picture of something in the word of God. And when you put the picture puzzle together, starting with the framework and then going from the outside in, the picture will emerge and someday... I certainly don't have all the pieces put in my picture. But I got just enough to see most of the picture. And that's what God wants to do for you. Come on. 
Why are you such against allowing that Holy Spirit of God? You're already better than me and nine other older preachers around this country. You're already smarter, stronger. You have better retention in your mind. Why are you so adverse of just getting settled into a church and gleaning out of somebody what God has given them for, what, almost a half a century? You think there's no value in that? It's because we have this deluded mindset that the world has conditioned us that we love God, but it's in our own definitions. Certainly not now as we've been through this out of the Sulka Song of Solomon. As God's people, for the most part, probably some of you here who did, but for the most part across the board of Christianity, God's people couldn't lay those things out of what pleases Him, what He loves, and what He hates, and yet they would stand up and just rip you a new one because of the fact that you would even say that they don't really love God. But when it comes to the book, that's why they don't ever get into the book with somebody. That's why they don't want to sit down and deal with issues in the Bible. The Bible reveals who they really are. It's, remember this, it's always easier to leave a church than it is to stay and fix your problems. But that's no solution. If the book is good enough to save you, then the book is good enough to fix all of our problems. Amen? Amen. But human nature. I've got a quote here I want to read you. Somebody said this one time. It was a very wise man. Real Christianity is never by the example of our power. Real Christianity is never by the example of our power, but rather will be by the power of our example. And that's where we're at. It isn't about what we say. It's about when push comes to shove, does the Bible carry you through? Two areas that God's program, the local church, will do for you. If you come into this church and you're unsaved, you can get saved here and you can become one with Christ at the point of your salvation. If you're already saved and you come to this church, then you become one with the Word of God through your spiritual growth. And it's just that simple. And in both cases, it has to be God's way and not our way. I've never understood, well, maybe I do. I've never really understood the mindset that, you know, that we think that we can solve problems in our lives with the same thinking that caused those problems. We always talk about New Year's that we make New Year's resolutions. For most of God's people, you don't need a New Year's resolution. You need a New Year's revolution. You need to throw off who's sitting on the throne and put Christ back on it. 
And it comes simply come down to the place of the reality of the honesty. Hey, I'm not I'm not where I need to be. I, I today really showed me. I I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But my whole concept of loving God isn't based on that. And I'm gonna tell you, ain't gonna like it. If it ain't based on that, then it ain't based on nothing. You're like dirty Harry said to that lady one time, or that guy, you're a legend in your own mind. It comes back to the book and letting that book be everything to you and realizing that whatever you have with Christ has to be based on the Song of Solomon, how he sees you, but most certainly how you see him. And learning the intimate things of what he loves, what it takes to please him, what he hates, and what he rejoices over. And make those things our things. Well, we'll hold up there.